South Bay. How are y'all doing? All right, come on. Hey, I heard this was the best service when it came to talking back. So how y'all doing? All right, that's, that's pretty legit. All right, cool. Hey, uh, my name's Tim Riley. I'm a pastor in Sunnyvale, and I've been honored to be asked to come speak. And this week, going through the Jesus Dilemma, we're going to talk about the resurrection. Last week, we got to hear from David, uh, Pastor David, preaching on the crucifixion. And the crucifixion is incredibly important because Christ died in our place. But if he stayed dead, he was just a martyr, and he's probably a little crazy. And so what we know, those who believe in Christ, those who have a relationship with him, know that Christ rose from the dead three days later, later, and I'm here to help you understand why we believe that in the first place. Um, if, you, if you have your Bibles, grab them. If you have an Apple product, Motorola product, or you're old school and you have a paper Bible, praise God, grab your Bible. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to start. It's going to be one verse, and so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Let me set this up. Paul the Apostle was a Pharisee who killed Christians. He did not like Christianity. His name was Saul in, in the New Testament prior to Acts 9 where he ran into Jesus alive after his death. And he switched teams essentially. He stopped killing Christians. He started to join them and, and proclaim this gospel that Christ died in our place and he ro- rose on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 14 is where we'll start. But before we do that, would you just close your eyes and calm your hearts and let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're going to accomplish in and through this message. Lord, I pray if I offend, would you convict? Would you move mightily through your word, God, because it is your word that brings truth, but we also don't have to check our minds at the door to know you. So God, would you use this time to change hearts, to woo people to yourself, to give us that call ourselves Christians the foundations for our faith. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I stalled. You have time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ, has not been, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What Paul says there is, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, this is worthless. You're wasting your Sunday mornings. And yet, if Christ did rise from the dead, that's the power of God, and that's why we believe what we believe. He writes this, and it's interesting. I was an atheist growing up, hated the idea of Christians, talked many Christians out of their faith because I thought y'all were silly, and I still kind of make fun of you. But I spent all this time just kind of wrestling with the idea of Christianity, and I read this verse as a skeptic and thought, man, if you're going to make up a religion, why would you tell people how to get out of it? I mean, really, if you disprove the resurrection, we got nothing. In fact, Paul goes on later to say in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins and we should be pitied more than all men. And so this verse is incredibly powerful and important. So as a skeptic, I used to hang out and kind of argue with Christians, but I came across this verse and I came to the conclusion after many months of study that Christ really rose from the dead. And it wasn't from what the Bible said, it's what other people said about Jesus, what people that were foes against Jesus said about him. The Muslims called him a great prophet, a better prophet than even Muhammad, the one who wrote their Quran. It says that in the Quran. They, uh, the Buddhists uh, didn't really care much about him, but they knew he was a wise man. They talked to, or Buddha, Buddhists will say he is. The Mormons called him a great prophet, a god, but not the god. And what was interesting was the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus wrote about him about 100 years after his death and supposed resurrection and said that he was a great sorcerer. 
And so what was interesting about that was they were saying that he did miracles. They were just saying the power came from something other than God. And so I'm going to give you 13 facts. This is kind of educational, all right? So if you're like, haven't been in school for a while, put that hat back on. If you're in school, I'm so sorry. But here are 13 facts that are not supernatural by themselves. That's why it's important. So you don't have to come here and be like, well, I can't believe in those. Because scholars, even skeptical ones, will agree on these 13 facts. The other cool thing about them is they're not from just the Bible. They're from history. It's what people have put together to understand, okay, these things actually happened. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, I need, I need, like, I gotta do this a lot, so I need some talking back, all right? Number one, Jesus lived. There will be some people that'll tell you that Jesus never lived. And yet there were many inscriptions, many historians wrote in his time period about him who were Christians, but also those who weren't Christians. Many, I was reading a book this morning about specific people who talked about Jesus who were not believers, but they talked about this movement that happened in this time period because people were following Jesus and laying down their lives because he rose from the dead. And so, first and foremost, he lived. Secondly, he died by crucifixion. Jesus died by crucifixion. If you guys have your bulletin, they've got all these written in. I'd highly recommend you write in notes But then the last two are not there on purpose, so you can write those in. So I want you to stay focused. Jesus died by crucifixion. Here's the argument that comes up every few years. It's uh, it's normally repackaged or called something else, but it's the swoon theory. The argument is that Jesus didn't actually die on that cross, as David so taught so well last week about Jesus' death and the fact that he paid the price for our sins, some will say that he didn't actually die because they feel like they need to do something with this Jewish carpenter from a small town called Nazareth. And they'll say, well, he didn't necessarily die. So let me paint the picture of the swoon theory. If you guys are familiar, Easter story, last week we talked about it, this idea that Jesus, before he got killed on the cross, got flogged. There was this thing called a cat's tail, where, which was a whip, and it had pieces of pottery and shards of glass on the end of it. And they would whip the person on the back, and when they pull it back, it would rip off pieces of skin and expose nerves. Jesus was in front of the courts and had the opportunity to say he wasn't God, but continued to affirm, yes, I am. Yes, I am God. I am is what you are calling me. I am that God. And they, they, would, they, you know, they didn't want to, well, at least Pilate didn't want to kill him, and yet he kept saying, yes, I'm God. I, he could have gotten out of it any time. So then they went to flog him. They put him over the tree stump. They hit him 39 times because 40 was considered inhumane because 39 you normally live, but 40 you may die. And they hit him 39 times, took him, gave him a beam of wood to carry, which he could not carry to the thing called Golgotha, the skull, where he would be crucified. They had another man carry the beam of wood for him. They took three nails, one in each wrist, one through both of his ankles, hung him on the cross. He hung there, and according to the Gospels, he hung there for many hours. And as he hung, he eventually gave up his spirit, and a Roman guard came and took a spear and put it under his, in his ribs, on, and it literally made blood and water come out. The swoon theory says that even though all of those things happened, he didn't actually die after all that beating. They took his body off and put it in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and they put him there, and they put a 4,000-pound rock in a gully, which you don't really have a lever to move, and so you can't really push it. There was no way to move this rock. And after being there, being beaten, being stabbed, hanging on a cross, giving up his spirit, they say that he didn't actually die. As he lays in this tomb, the swoon theory says that after three days, the cool air revived him. 
Somehow he came, he just, he, he wasn't breathing very well. He came back to life or he, he didn't actually die. So he just kind of revived and he came up somehow overpowered or moved this 4,000 pound rock. So imagine a Mercedes without tires, moved this 4,000 pound rock, overpowered a Roman guard whose job was to mess you up. And then somehow jogged seven miles after having a nail in his ankle, showed himself to the disciples and the disciples looked at him and said, you have risen. They wouldn't have said that if he still looked the same. They would have said, you need a doctor, right? <laughs> and so the swoon theory just doesn't really work. Number three, Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. He was buried in a Pharisee's tomb, a rich man's tomb, according to the prophet Isaiah, who wrote, the Messiah will be buried in a rich man's tomb. 700 years before Jesus was born to Mary. Kind of crazy. Read Isaiah 53. It's incredible. Number four. Jesus' death made the disciples despair because they believed his life was over. You know what the Gospels say the disciples did after he died? They went fishing. They were upset. They were distraught. But they realized that they couldn't just continue to grieve. And they were afraid that someone would come after them. So they went back to work, which was the normal reaction for someone who's lost a great friend. Number five, this is a big deal. But it's not the biggest deal. Number five, the tomb was found empty a few days later. The tomb was actually found empty. It's not like we worship and Jesus is in a box somewhere. He was not in the tomb. So I'm sorry to do this, Andy, but um, so imagine your pastor, Andy, and I hanging out. We're at Pete's because it's holier than Starbucks. And as we're hanging out, yeah, I know. And as we're hanging out, we're, we're talking about his cruise. He got to have a phenomenal time with, you know, his best friend and his wife and Felipe and Mandy, and they just had a great time. And we're talking about that, and all of a sudden, he leaves and a few days, or a few hours later, I get a text from Stacy, his bride, and she says, hey, when did you see Andy? I said, oh, he left at about 11. And she said, oh, Tim, um, I'm sorry to tell you this over text, but, but he got into a car accident and he died. Sorry, Andy. You guys should pray for your pastor, just that this doesn't happen. And so, so he's now dead. We, we, there's a huge memorial for him. We, we do the funeral, and then we take his body, throw it in a box, put it in the back of a town car, drive it to the cemetery, take that box, that casket, put it in a grave, throw dirt on it, and leave. Three days later, I miss him. I grab my Bible. I come to his gravesite to talk to him. And as I walk up, I see that there's dirt everywhere. I start to run, I look down into the grave, and the casket's open, and I see that Andy's not there. Is my logical response going to be, well, obviously Andy rose from the dead. Think about it. That's not what you would do if someone was not in the grave. Your first response would be what? Well, someone jacked the body, right? He's not, he's not there. And so the tomb being empty actually doesn't prove anything. But the logical response to an empty tomb would not be, he is risen, there's another thing with this. Back in this time period, everyone knew where Jesus was buried. He was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. is very well known. And so the disciples ran there. They all kind of knew where it was. And there are many founders of many different religions who have died, and there are memorials for their grave. They lay in that grave. You can go to Muhammad's gravesite. It's Mecca. It's huge. And you come to it, and people go and worship the dead body of the prophet Muhammad. You can go and, and be around where Joseph Smith, the one who started Mormonism, where he died. You can go to Buddha's place where he died. And yet, even though everyone knew where Jesus' grave was when he died originally, there's no place that there is a memorial set up for Jesus because we don't know where the tomb is. Why? Because he's not in it. 
And that's a big deal. Because if he was still in the tomb and people started to proclaim he had risen, you would have just gone, no, he's not. He's right there, right? And he wasn't there. It also defeats the idea that people went to the wrong tomb. The women went to a tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there, declared that he was risen because if he was in the wrong tomb, they would have just showed them the right tomb and he is not in a tomb. Number six, this is a big deal. The disciples had experienced this, which they believed. Hear me, believed, all right? That's why it's not supernatural. They believed it. They believed were literal appearances of the risen Jesus. So an empty tomb doesn't actually prove anything. But an empty tomb plus some appearances starts to build a case. Am I right? Because you have both. He's no longer in the tomb, but I think I saw him. And so then there's just all these arguments that, well, he didn't actually rise physically. He rose spiritually. That's one of the most uh, sought-after arguments that people have. They'll say, well, he didn't actually rise physically. Well, then why wasn't he in the tomb? Because if he just rose spiritually, he'd still be hanging out there, right? And yet the gospels say that Jesus showed himself to over 500 people over 40 days, 500 people at one time and many other people in a bunch of different contexts. So then the argument is, well, maybe they just had hallucinations. The interesting thing about hallucinations, not that any of you have done drugs because you guys all polish your halos, but people that do do drugs sometimes have hallucinations. You know what's interesting about that? You can't share hallucinations. Hallucinations are very similar to a dream. So I can't be dreaming about Hawaii, having a phenomenal time, wake my bride up and say, hey, Aaron, jump into my dream, free vacation. Because <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can't share your hallucination. You can't share your dream. And if 500 people at one point saw Jesus, that's not a hallucination, that's an event. And that's what actually happened. And so the fact that they had experiences which they believed were literal appearances is a big deal, and it starts to build on that case of an empty tomb. Not convinced, let's keep going. The disciples were transformed from doubters to bold proclaimers. They went back to work after he died. They had followed him for three and a half years. Oh, you're the Messiah. Yes, Lord, you're going to restore Israel. And then he died, and they went back to work because they thought they wasted their time. Something happened because when he died, they were away. But something happened three days later. So why? Some people will say that the disciples stole the body. It's probably the most well-known argument that people have. Well, obviously, I mean, the disciples were preaching this and they believed it, but like they probably didn't because they stole the body. So here's the thing. My wife makes fun of me. No, that's it. My wife just makes fun of me. Um, but if I say anywhere in a conversation, if I'm talking to my kids, if I'm preaching from the back of the room, if I say liars... She'll yell out, make terrible martyrs. And the reason that's a big deal is because the disciples would not have died for what they did if they didn't know for sure that it happened. So let me, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, I have a friend who's a pastor, and he was talking with a woman at his church, and she had a lot of questions. She said, I used to be a Christian, but I still kind of have these doubts. And they started to talk about the sincerity of the disciples. And she said, yeah, but the, people die for their faith all the time. And so this pastor friend came to me and he said, yeah, so what would you say there? And I said, well, who is she talking about? Well, she was talking about, you know, the people that died on September 11th. So I hate to bring you back to this, but September 11th, 2001, there were men who believed that Allah would give them paradise if they martyred themselves by jumping on airplanes and killing uh, civilians in America, if they martyred themselves. And here's what I can tell you. Those men believed what they did. They were sincere but I believe they were sincerely wrong. And here's the difference between those men 
and the disciples who were willing to give up their lives proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. Don't miss this. These men were willing to die because they were convinced by somebody else. These men had firsthand experiences that they believed they saw Jesus alive after he died. That's a big deal. That makes the two faiths not exactly the same just because they were both sincere. These men died for what they believed because of what they experienced, not because of what someone else convinced them of. So just remember that. Liars make terrible martyrs. Number eight, the gospel was the central message of the early church. The gospel, if you're not familiar, is this thing called the great exchange. Christ died in our place according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news, that Christ got what we deserved because we're all sinful, and if you're not sure, meet my children, but we're all sinful. And Christ got what we deserved because sin equals death, and we got what he deserved, which was eternal life, which was heaven, which was a relationship with the heavenly Father because of Jesus' great exchange. And so the gospel being the central message of the early church gets rid of the argument that this was a legend built after time. This happened, and people started to proclaim that he was risen. It was, had nothing to do with Jesus' teachings. It had to do with who he was and that a dead man was alive. Number nine, the message was proclaimed in Jerusalem where Jesus died. The message was proclaimed where Jesus died. All right, so I I need some crowd participation. Who is an NBA basketball fan? Really? Like six of you, legit. All right, how many of you know who LeBron James is? Wow, that's ridiculous. He's more popular than the NBA. Okay, So, so imagine you know who LeBron is. Imagine I go to India where they don't have as much television, they probably don't know as much about basketball as as we do in America, they don't have Twitter as uh, accessible. And I go and I start to talk to some people there and I start to tell them that I'm LeBron James. And I start to tell them about the NBA and that Dr. James Naismith, uh, you know, founded it and invented it back in the 1800s and they shot basketballs into milk cartons and I'm very specific and they start to go, yeah, this guy could be LeBron James. I start to say, I finally won my first ring last year. I'm not as good as Jordan. Like I say all the truth about LeBron James. I could probably convince some of them because they don't know any better. So let's imagine that I was in Miami where the Miami Heat play where LeBron plays, and I started to walk up to people and said, hey guys, just so you know, I'm LeBron James. What do you think they would do? They'd probably laugh me out of that city or beat me up. (laughs) This message was proclaimed in Jerusalem where Jesus died. So if he was still dead, if he was still in the tomb, if no one had seen him when he said that, they would have just laughed at him. Number 10, because of this message, the church was born and grew. Because of this message, this gospel, this great exchange that Christ died in our place and rose from the dead, this is what started the church. Let me just be clear. In Acts 2, Peter goes up and says the least seeker-sensitive message ever. You all killed Jesus. He rose from the dead. Repent. That was the message. First mega church ever. Ridiculous. Just bam, overnight. 3,000 men and many other women and children all decided to come follow this Jesus. And it had nothing to do with his teachings had to do with the fact that a dead man was alive. Because of this message, the church was born and grew. Number 11, Sunday became the primary day of worship for many. For thousands of years, these Jews had worship on Saturday. They would take the Sabbath. They would sit and not really lift a finger. And they would listen to the rabbi teach. 
And he would teach from the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. And they would teach and they would just sit there and they would worship God on Saturdays. That was the day of rest. How many of you have spent time in church? My assumption is about as many basketball fans. How many of you are church kids, been in the church for a while? Okay, some of you. All right, so if you've been in the church in a while, how long does it take the church to change anything? Right? You don't get that because this is South Bay. I love this church. Amen. All right, good. I'm glad you don't get that. Normally in churches outside of this one, (laughs) it takes a while for anything to change. Oh, we want to change to this type of coffee. Yeah, we have to have a board meeting. Like that's normally what happens, right? Sunday became the primary day of worship for many. Switched because they celebrated on Sunday the fact that Jesus was alive. All right, here's where you start writing. Start clicking those pens. Number 12, James, Jesus' half-brother who was a skeptic, was converted to the faith when he believed he saw the resurrected Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus who was a skeptic, was converted to the faith when he believed he saw the resurrected Jesus. James grew up with Jesus. The Bible says that he was embarrassed by Jesus, that he claimed he was the Messiah. So, all right, more participation. How many of you have siblings? More than basketball fans and spend time in church. All right, amen. How hard would it be for your sibling to convince you that they were God? Think about it. And yet James wrote a book of the Bible. He was one of the main pastors in Jerusalem claiming that Christ had risen from the dead. Number 13, Paul, who was Saul as a Pharisee, changed his name to Paul after he converted. Paul was converted to the faith after he believed that he saw a resurrected Jesus. Paul was converted to the faith after he believed he saw a resurrected Jesus. Here's the thing with Paul. If someone came up to him and said, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, Paul would cap them. He would kill them. And yet, it had nothing to do with someone's persuasive words that converted Paul. Acts 9 says that he was on his horse, got knocked off of his horse, had an experience with Jesus. And so let me just tell you something. If you're here and you claim that you're a Christian, if you are here and you're a skeptic, I want you both to hear this. It is impossible to experience Jesus Christ and not change. It is impossible to experience Jesus and all his glory and come to know him and not change because he starts to do work in your life and the things you used to care about don't seem to matter as much. Can someone testify? And that's who our God is. And it is impossible to experience him and not change. Paul would not have had a hallucination. Paul was against Christ. He was a foe against him and yet he decided to come worship him because he experienced him. So here's my point. All of that to say this. The resurrection changes everything. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if, we, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is useless and so is our preaching. Not only that, but we are still in our sins. And this is worthless. You should spend your Sunday morning doing anything but this. If Christ has not risen from the dead, but if he has... That is the power of God. That means that we have hope. That means that no matter what trouble you're going through, Christ rose and you can keep your eyes focused on him. Some of you know the story of where Jesus walked on water and only the second ever person to walk on water was Peter. And he gets out of the boat. Jesus calls him to himself and he starts to walk and he takes two steps and then he hears the thunder. He sees the lightning and what happens? He sinks. I think there's a principle in there somewhere. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and not on his teachings, not on just what a cool guy is. Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's Lord. And if he rose from the dead, he deserves that title. 
because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Our faith is not built on wishful thinking. I didn't want him to rise from the dead, to be honest. Because when I was studying and arguing with Christians and everything, one, it was fun to make fun of them. But secondly, it meant that I would have to be accountable to a God. Our faith is not built on wishful thinkings or good man's teachings. It is built on the historical bedrock that Jesus, who claimed to be God, willingly went to death for you and I. And he validated his claim of deity, of being God, by rising from the dead on the third day. So what if Jesus rose from the dead? What is that proof? First, it proves he wasn't lying. As Andy preached on Easter and talked about that Christ was either a Lord, or he was a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. He was one of those three things. He was not lying because he claimed he was going to rise from the dead in Matthew 12 and Matthew 16. It proves supernatural things do happen. I sit down with people all the time. They're like, I can't really believe in the Old Testament. Like, this story is kind of weird and blah, blah, blah. And I go... Do you, do you believe that Christ rose from the dead? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, if he can rise from the dead, how hard is it to part some water, yo? If Christ rose from the dead, it proves that prophecies were fulfilled. It proved that prophecies, people, things that were said about Jesus, about the Messiah before he lived, happened. And lastly, the most, the least, well, actually the most offensive thing that I think Jesus said in our day and age If Christ rose from the dead, it validates Jesus' claim to be the only way. Who is this man? He is Lord. And if he is Lord, he wants you to follow him. He's not going to beg you, but I will. I think you should follow him because your life as a Christian, let me just be honest, you can hear my story online, I don't have time, but it's not easy to be a Christian. In fact, I became a Christian and it got harder. And if anyone ever tells you that the safest place is God's will, they are lying to you and they've never read the Bible. Because following Jesus is hard, but he gives you a new life. He, makes you, he doesn't make you a better version of you. You're not a 4S model of yourself. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Luke 9, verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. In Acts 2, Peter, as he was preaching it, said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you see a pattern here? Verses 31 and 32, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses of this of it. Verse 36, therefore let all of Israel know, let all of South Bay know, let all of California and this world know. Be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The same Peter writes a letter in the Bible, and as he starts the address, he says, Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a birth into a living hope through the what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul the apostle killed Christians, switched teams. Verse 30 of Acts 17, as he was speaking in Athens, kind of one of the smartest areas in all of the world at the time, where all the philosophers were, kind of like Silicon Valley, with all the technology and things like that. He stood up in essentially a city council meeting and got to influence the influencers And talking about how in the past, people just had idolatry, where they worshiped things other than God. He said, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to change direction. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And check this out. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. John, the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved, there's this guy who gets a terrible rap. His name was Doubting Thomas. He didn't believe. And the disciples went to him and said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, this is my translation, Jesus came up and was like, peace, what's up? And he came to his disciples, even though there was a door that was locked, and he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas's response, my Lord, my God, he worshiped him. Verse 29 says, then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me yet and have believed. At the end of John's gospel, he says in verse 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Church, here's what you need to know. He did not die and rise again so you could be comfortable. He did not die and rise again so you could intellectually ascend and accept that he lived and died and rose again. He wants you to trust him. And it is impossible to experience Jesus and not change. He even called it in a parable in Luke 16. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, this is the Old Testament, the dusty part of many of your Bibles, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. He called it. There is evidence in history that I believe are footprints to a resurrected Messiah. And most of us, outside in this world think that Christianity is just a hopeful thing, that maybe it could be true. I really hope that it's true, and my faith is not built on the resurrection. My faith is in Christ because he resurrected. Amen? Amen. And maybe you're skeptical, but what do you think happened? Because something happened. And lives as we know it, the calendar and many other things and and, and religions and Everything that we can even fathom changed when this man walked this earth. A lonely carpenter from a town of 350. Something happened. So what do you think happened? Many are just not convinced, even with overwhelming evidence that points towards a resurrected king. But here's the thing with Jesus. He does not allow you to like him. You either love him or you hate him. You either crucify him with your life by saying, no, I don't want anything to do with him. And you, like Peter, deny him. Or you crown him as king. You crucify him or you crown him. So what is it with your life? Where are you here? I mean, a lot of people think that intellectually you can't believe in this. And I live in a life where you absolutely can. So what's stopping you from making that commitment to our king? Because he won't let you ignore him. He's everywhere. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless and so is our preaching. He called it and he let us have that. If he didn't rise, it's worthless. If he did, it's the power of God. So just know this, it's not that you can't believe, it's that many of you don't want to. So what are you gonna do? You came here this morning and maybe you were just like, I came because my friend said we're gonna go get Chick-fil-A after. Chick-fil-A ain't even open today, yo. So what are you going to do? Are you going to respond to this grace that God so freely gives to you? Or are you going to continue to say, well, I can't believe in that. 
Uh-uh, yes you can. When asked in Acts 2 what to do after Peter preached this gospel, Peter replied, repent, change direction, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get what he deserved. He got what you deserved. If he defeated death, I'm with him. Next week, you have the opportunity to be baptized if you've never done that. If God rescues you today, you have the opportunity to proclaim outwardly what you believe inwardly by going underwater and coming back up. And so I would ask you in this place, in this time, to just do something that's probably uncomfortable for you, but I won't be here next week, so I'm just gonna do it anyway. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Just allow this to be that moment where maybe you are quieter than you've been all day, all week, all month. And allow God just to minister to you. On June 13th, 2001, in the midst of many of my questions as a very antagonistic atheist, God decided that he had had enough and he just came and rescued me and made me switch teams. And maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you just feel you have these reasons that you couldn't believe and they started to get unpacked and deconstructed and and now your heart can meet up with your mind. Would you allow God to minister to you right now? Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm gonna pray a prayer and let me be honest, this prayer does not save you. It is the intent to follow him and if you follow him, he, as you reach out to him, he'll reach out to you. The prayer goes like this, Father, I thank you for sending your son. I believe in my heart, not just my mind. I believe with me that you rose from the dead and I can meet with you today. God, thank you. I turn from my own life, I repent and I turn to you, Lord. Would you give me the faith and grace to follow you with all that I am? With everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, in this moment, if you decided, you, yes, I wanna follow this Jesus, you believe that he's Lord, you believe that he's risen and you want him. If you prayed that prayer and you mean it and you wanna follow him for the first time, with everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and let me know if God did work in your soul this morning? Did he rescue you? Do you want him starting today? Any others? Raise them up higher. Nothing to be ashamed of. Our God is good. Amen. All right, put your hands down. I'm going to give you a few other ways to respond because Christianity is a team sport and this church loves you and wants to walk with you. You can open your eyes. Look at me. There's this card in your bulletin. I'd highly recommend that you grab it. You start writing your name on it right now, no matter who you are. But if you decide to follow Jesus today, would you check that box? I became a follower of Jesus today and God hijacked your eternity. Would you let us know that today by writing it on there and then putting it in the offering as it goes by? And if you've never been baptized and you want to follow Jesus, would you write that on here? I want to be baptized. Write it on this card because God is going to do a work in your life and you'll never be the same. Let me pray and we'll end. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are a rescuing God. Lord, would you give us the faith and grace to follow you with all that we are? We love you and praise you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.